0: Good morning, good morning. Ruth, thanks very much for leading. Uh, Ruth and I didn't compare notes when we were um, preparing this morning, and we're going to be looking together at Second Samuel, but I have a verse in Ephesians 3 that I was going to refer to a couple of times, Ephesians 3.20, and I was going to ask Ruth to read it at the end, and she actually was planning to read it at the end anyway, so um, I don't think it's a coincidence. This year we're as a church journeying through the whole Bible in um, the Essential 100 series. And this morning we're going to look at one of these 100 chunks that help build the complete story, and that's in 2 Samuel chapter 5 to 7. Because there's there's so much in this story, I'm I'm mostly going to just kind of tell the story and then hit you with one key theme at the end uh, that you can take away it's kind of two two themes but it's two in one and essentially that is this idea of us wanting to go after God and when we go after God how do we handle the wrong route or the roadblock when we have good intentions and we want to go after God and we get it wrong we take the wrong route. How do we avoid just giving up, being a bit disappointed in ourselves and letting apathy creep in? Or what about the, the roadblock? What if we have good intentions and we want to strive after God, but he says no to the desires of our heart? How do we handle that? I believe these chapters have something to say about that. So let's um, open our Bibles at 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to read through to, to chapter 7, uh, and we're not going to read it all. I'm going to kind of pick out a few key verses um, and to try and tell the whole story. So, so stay with me. And By way of introduction, um, Israel's in a time of crisis. Saul has been killed in battle. His three eldest sons have been killed as well by the Philistines, and the kingdom is in disarray. And after Saul's death, David returns from exile to Hebron where he's crowned king by the people of Judah. We read about that in 2 Samuel 2. However, a little further north, Ishbosheth, one of Saul's other sons, has survived and he's proclaimed king of Israel. And this sets the stage for a brutal civil war. So just before 2 Samuel 5, Ishbosheth has just been killed, and we'll, we'll read together um, in verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. <coughs> In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in. So David is anointed king over Israel, over all Israel. And David was 30 years old. Verse 4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. From David was initially anointed by Samuel as a shepherd boy until this this point. It's been a long and a, a, a difficult road. He's been... Hated, hunted, hounded, and harassed, but now he's finally arrived. He's he's king of all Israel. Verse 6, and one of the first things that he does is David and his men go to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, Jerusalem's a very interesting location. It's it's a neutral space between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. It would be a perfect capital city for this new united kingdom. And it's quite symbolic for the people of Israel, too. They've never been able to capture it. And it's been a symbol of their failure to go in and claim their inheritance. So this this failure is not lost. And the Jebusites, you can see this in verse 6. The Jebusites taunt David. You will not come in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. Verse 7, nevertheless, David goes in and, and takes the stronghold of Zion. He moves into the fortress of Zion. He enlarges it, refortifies it, and names it the city of David. Several hundred years have passed since Joshua went in with the people of Israel to claim the entire land. And David is now finally beginning to to do this. He finally takes Jerusalem. And he's focused on on trying to complete this task. Verse 17 onwards tell us how the Philistines hear about this. Saul had lost much of the north of the kingdom and the Philistines don't want David to get back. So it says they, they all go to get him. And the Philistines gathered for battle in the valley of Rephaim and David inquired of the Lord verse 19 and God says to him, go up for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand and he did and verse 20 it says David burst through his enemies. When the Philistines regrouped and assembled in the valley a second time David again inquired of the Lord and the Lord told David to kind of do a flanking maneuver this time around behind him and, and wait and then God started the battle himself. Verse 24, And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rise yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you. The sound of marching probably refers to like a strong wind in the treetops, the sound of rustling in the leaves of the trees, a wind that let David know it was time to move. And when the wind came, David was to rise himself. And the word for rise, best dare, also means to be decisive, to take action, to, to go after God. And when the strong winds of life blow for us, wouldn't it be great if that reminded us that God was near, God was working, we to rise up, go after him, and victory is just around the corner. Chapter 6, verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, was 30,000 men, and he then led them to bring back the Ark of God. Just about 75 years earlier, the Ark had been taken by the Philistines, and we read about that in 1 Samuel 4. However, God punished the Philistines because the Ark was in their possession. That's in 1 Samuel 5-7. to And they, they, what they did was they placed the Ark on a new cart and sent it back to the, to the Israelites. And Saul had left it in the care of Abinadab, a Levite in the territory of Benjamin which was just north of Jerusalem. David wanted to lead the people to go after God and he wanted uh, to restore the ark at the center of of, of worship and everyday life for them. But interestingly, when David goes to go after God and bring the ark to Jerusalem, he puts it on a new cart, verse 3, just like the Philistines had done. And also he sets off with his elite army of 30,000 men. Verse 5. David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and with with music of all types of instrument. And after that, the ox pulling the cart stumble and Uzzah, one of the men guiding cart, reaches out to steady it and he's struck dead. Verse 8. David is angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. Verse 9. David is now afraid of the Lord. Verse 10, David decides not to move the ark to Jerusalem. He just gives up. And he leaves it with obed edom Three months later, David hears about how the Lord is blessing obed edom And it reminds him of his initial desire to go after the ark. And to have it at the center of Israel. To encourage the people to have God at the center of their lives. And for all of them to be blessed as a result of this. And either David has been reading up on the law or someone has told him. But this time he checks the details of how the ark is to be transported. And this time he does it right. A parallel account of this story which goes into a lot more is in 1 Chronicles 15. And here we read how David specifies the details of God's precepts on how the ark is to be transported. And he carries it out to the letter. So David goes and brings the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration verse 14 David danced with all of his might wearing a linen eapod. It wasn't a normal royal robe or probably the first time he was leading the army in a, it's all his uh, military regalia but he's wearing a humble undergarment which is also a priestly garment David goes from king to priest and when the ark arrives verse 17 to 18 David sacrifices to the Lord he blesses the people in the name of the Lord and he distributes distributes food. Then in verse 20 when David returns home to bless his family Michal, David's first wife gives him some serious grief. She says his dancing is vulgar and embarrassing. In verse 21 David speaks back to her with fairly strong language. He he doesn't care what she thinks. He was dancing for the Lord and he would be willing to embarrass himself even more if that's what it took to please the Lord. Chapter 7 This passage describes possibly the best days of King David and the people of Israel. David was king, his nation is united and at peace, and he was enjoying a time of rest. And he reflects on the blessings and the grace of God. And a dream is born in his heart. He wants to build God a permanent residence. Verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. In verse 4, we read of how when Nathan returned home during the night, God spoke to him and told him to return to David and tell him it was not of the Lord. God seems to be saying in verse 5 to 7 that David's dream had originated within the heart of David. Would you build me a house? When God says no to David, verse 8 to 11, instead of allowing David to give to God, God turns it all around to him giving to David. He reminds David of his grace taking him from leading the sheep. He reminds David he was a partaker of God's rest, God's peace, God's victory, and God's power. And verse 12 to 17 of of chapter 7 do what a lot of prophetic passages do. It takes a a kind of extended telescope view of events and shrinks it all down so that the the distant events are viewed with the the present. For example, in these six verses, God promises on one hand that Solomon, David's son, will reign after David and will will build a house for God. That's why in, in verse 14 we read, when he, commits iniqu- when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. But the promises go way beyond Solomon and his imperfection. Verse 13 says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. Verse 16 says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever me your th- throne shall be established forever three times the words forever appear and no wonder this davidic covenant is so central to israel's hope when god promises to do something forever the whole of eternity is being shaped Sometimes God says no to our dreams and to our plans. And when he does, it's because he's got something so much better. More than we could have ever asked for or imagined. And when David realizes this, verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord in the tent of his ark. And he said, who am I, O sovereign Lord, that you have brought me this far? And David goes on in the, the final verses of this chapter with a great prayer of humble submission, of thanks, of praise. And he takes the liberty of reconfirming what God has said to him and asks that God does indeed follow through on this and asks that he will be blessed because of it. So that's it. <laughs> David decides to go after God. He knows the fullness of, of God's desire to bless him and he, he, he wants to have a part of this. But he doesn't always get it right. He has to deal with taking a wrong route and a roadblock. block. And when we go after God, how do we handle a wrong route or a roadblock? block? Firstly, looking at the wrong route, You know, we know David is a man after God's own heart. We heard about that last week, and um, and we can read about that from from Paul's writings. And we need a heart that beats after God, his power and his presence. And like David, we need to best dare to rise up and go after God. But we should realize that sometimes this might not go as we had planned. Initially, when going after the ark, David's motives were right, he wanted to bring God's blessing to the people and to be centre in the kingdom. But his methods were wrong. David's methods for transporting the ark resulted in the death of Uzzah. And it's, it's very easy just to go kind of gung-ho in our own strength with good intentions. And David's problem was he did not seek God before making his decision. And he either forgot or just ignored the clear commands of God as to how the ark was to be transported he just assumed God would bless him because he was doing a good thing and these verses teach us that God is very interested in the details he expects his commands to be carried out to the letter I kind of had this mantra you know: love the Lord, love your brother, nothing else really matters And in many ways, that's true. And particularly in my early 20s, I would have been kind of focused on this. But from reading these verses, I'm not so sure. God is interested in the detail. Maybe other things do matter to him. Maybe it's a bit of a cop-out. Or maybe the scale of the love we are to have for God and for our brother is so full of detail that we need to search out Scripture And seek his face so that we can pinpoint the detail of that love. In chapter 6, David became angry. Possibly he was angry with the Lord, but more likely he was angry with himself. For his own foolishness. But instead of repenting and doing things the Lord's way, David just chooses to forget the whole business. He dismisses the people and he just left the ark where it was. David stopped praising and he started pouting and I think this can kind of happen to us quite easily and I know that it it happens to me we set out with good intentions we want to go after God and without realising it we're kind of doing it more in our own strength we're preaching sermons we're leading bible study. we're taking Sunday school we're leaders at CSSM we're witnessing to our friends we know what we should do and we just go and do it but the root is self We're not fully relying on God. But in some ways we might be a bit oblivious to that. We might be kind of a bit oblivious to the fact that the root itself. We might think we're serving God, but we just feel a bit empty, a bit numb, a bit disengaged. And this could cause us to just give up. Now, how did David wake from his apathy? How did he go from giving up to getting up? Well, first of all, he, he remembered why he went after the ark in the first place. He remembered God's blessing, how God wanted to be a blessing to him and to the people. And he remembered that he had to fully rely on God. He then checked the details he searched out the plan of God from his word and he carried out to the letter and he then chose a spirit of praise and worship and he humbly goes from king to priest. So what about the roadblock? I think David shows us what we are supposed to do when God says no to the desires of our heart. David has a good, a gracious, and a godly dream but his dream is not from the Lord and he's even initially encouraged in his dream by his pastor Nathan when we want to do something for God but it's, it's seated in, in us, in our will in, in our strength, we may find that God says no even if it seems a good thing even if it seems that it is for him David decides to build God a temple and God says you? build me a temple? here's what I'm going to do, see your dream David, it's not even big enough in my time and in my will more than you can ask or imagine some of us have witnessed the death of our dreams we've watched his life has altered plans and, and dreams of our youth and maybe we're a bit disappointed maybe we're not getting what we want out of life But God has promised to give us so much more than we can even ask for or imagine. When God says no to our dreams and plans, it's because he's got something so much better in mind and that this was David's discovery and this was also the experience of the disciples. They thought their dreams were absolutely shattered when Jesus died on the cross and they soon found out that God had something far better in store. And we might say, yes, yes, I know all that, but I still have shattered dreams. You know, it's it's hurt. There's pain there. When God makes a deal, he reveals his commitment and he signs it. He comes to the covenant partner and says, this is how I will work for you. With all of my heart, with all of my strength, and with all of my soul if you will love me as I am cling to me and trust me to keep my word and we need to look at the covenant God will enter into with us if we follow Jesus Christ in faith who signed the contract in blood God's Davidic covenant that we read about in chapter 7 highlights that God will exert all of himself to do good to his people And if we really know the truth of this almighty God being all for us, it will have a huge impact on the way we dream, the way we trust him for the future, the way we pursue our career, the way we raise our children, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our leisure, the way we deal with conflict, the way we handle anxiety. We should be supremely confident that God works everything together for our good out of sheer grace. So what's David's response to God's "No? It's one of utter devotion to the Lord. In chapter seven, verse 18 to 29, David goes in and sits down before the Lord. He acknowledges he was unworthy of such a blessing. He praises the Lord for his blessing, his grace, his love. He accepts God's plan for his life. He didn't sulk this time. He praised and trusted God. And the thrust of David's prayer in verse 27 to 29 is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When God says no, David remembers that the almighty God was all for him. And we too, when God says no to the desires of our heart, we need to remember that he is all for us. And he is saying, here's what I'm going to do. Your dream's not even big enough. In my time and in my will, more than you can ask for or imagine. I think one of the key things from these chapters is this idea of trying to strike the balance between God's role and our role. In chapter 5, we very much see everything being God's way. In chapter 6, David's way starts creeping in. His army. His card. Even though he has good intentions, he fails. He sulks for a while, and then he comes back to God's way. But again in chapter 7, the desire of his heart is that he will do something for God. And God says, no, I will do. And wait till you see the magnificence of what I have in mind. And we end with David sitting down humbly before God in utter devotion. Accepting, praising, worshipping and trusting. And the more we understand the significance of what God has done and will do for us, the more we can be effective in our Christianity. So, we are to go after God. But what do we do about taking the wrong route or having a roadblock? The wrong route, we need to remember God's blessing. We need to remember that we need to fully rely on God. We need to check the details, look at scripture, and we need to choose an attitude of praise and worship. We need to go from king of us to priest for him. What about the roadblock? We need to remember that he will give us more than we can ever ask for or imagine, that he is all for us. We need to check the details, we need to look at this contract, this covenant that he has entered into us if we follow Jesus in faith. And we need to choose to accept, to praise, to worship, and to trust.